0: This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by Curadet. Curadet Debt Debt Counseling offers you free debt settlement consultations. You're not dealing with the banks. You're not dealing with the credit cards. You're dealing with a company that is there to work for you and not the creditors. Hey, bad things happen. Bad things happen to all of us. If you have $10,000 or more in unsecured or credit card or personal loan debt, You owe it to yourself to give them a call. Pick up the phone, call 866-951-2699 for your free debt consultation. Curadet will work with you and provide you with a roadmap to rebuilding your credit. It's free. You have absolutely nothing to lose, but possibly the bad stuff that comes along with debt. 866-951-2699. Gather up your statements, give them a call, and take advantage of a free consultation. 866-951-2699. Cure a debt. 866-951-2699. Now, on with the show.
1: Nerd comedia. Ah,
0: welcome, my friends, to another episode of Nerd Cognito. You might have noticed that we were not present last week. Uh, <laughs> my name is Ryan David. I'm joined by Bert. Hey, Bert.
1: Hey, Ryan. How's the COVID?
0: Ah, I, I, much better, you know. Um, for those of you that don't know or that don't follow me on I Hate Ryan David uh, on, on the Twitter machine, I after three years of dodging the bullet, finally got wackoed by El COVID. And, uh, it, it took me out. Oh, I would say, uh, it was a full week before we recorded last week's episode that never aired more on that later. Um, but I, I recorded with, uh, a dear friend of the show, uh, Eric Jensen, uh, you know him, you love him. He is a, uh, Significant pundit in the tabletop role-playing world. He sat in for Bert two weeks ago, and we talked about the Hadoozy hullabaloo and uh, all of the the Wizards retconning. But, uh,
1: Bert, you and I actually did sit down last week and
0: record a show.
1: Right. You asked me about my vacation, and then you kind of got delirious. (laughs) It was... So bad. We should release
0: snippets of it sometime, just as a gag for maybe a nano nerd cognito. I went and listened to the playback before even considering editing it, and it was just bad. I sounded bad. Like you know, my voice wasn't a hundred percent recovered at that point. And uh, not only that, but delirious is the right word. Uh, Bert was. You know, making some very fine points about the topic at hand, and I was like, "I like pudding." <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. Oh, Sorry for uh, yeah, dropping I, out he, there. Thank goodness for cough buttons because that's that's the only hang on that I still have now. Is have, a little bit of a cough. I've got a, the the remnants of the cough and and the fatigue, which apparently never goes away. But. Um, other than that, you know, I am fully functional and my brain is apparently working as close to full capacity as Ryan's brain does.
1: <laughs> good, good. I, uh, I uh, may have ex- been exposed to COVID, but I'm testing negative and I'm asymptomatic.
0: I didn't do it. I didn't do it. For, for those of you that are going to write in with hate mail, how dare you expose your friend to COVID? Bert has not been in my presence for almost a month now, so I am squarely not guilty. No, <laughs> no, it's not your fault, Ryan. No. Not your fault. I'm, I'm used to things being my fault. So last week, apparently, I asked you about your vacation, uh, which led to Eric sitting in and the, the conversation of, of the squirrel slash monkey slash racist question mark stuff.
1: (laughs) And uh, I have no idea what you said. So
0: how, how was your vacation, my friend?
1: It was great. I mean, got an opportunity to decompress, no technology. We went to a cabin by the lake. We went, you know, we went out and sat on the lake. I read a book. My wife worked on her term paper. We had a good time, just relaxed. Um, good stuff, good stuff. How yeah, did yeah, Terraforming right. Mars go over? The terraforming Mars went over great. We had some brand new players, so I just did the base game and Preludes because that makes setup so much Oh, that so speeds easier. up the
0: game a, a lot,
1: for sure. Right, but I had... And then um, the one person that was staying at the cabin with us brought his daughter, so we played a ton of exploding kittens.
0: Oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, you made my evil... COVID cough come back and not in a good way. Oh, Exploding Kittens.
1: Uh, it was a cute game. She loved it. Everybody was happy that I brought a game that was kid-friendly and easy to play. You yeah, know, when yeah, the kid went yeah. to bed, we would break out the real games and start drinking. But, uh, you know, before that, we got to play Exploding Kittens and she had a great time. So. Well, I, I guess that's good. And, and,
0: you know, don't take this the wrong way. You were fantastic with kids, so... Uh, she probably did have a really good time with you, sort of running the games. So um, I always appreciate when when you uh, talk to the little guy on a level that's uh, I just I just don't have it in me.
1: <laughs> well, I, I've, I've been talking to your little guy for years. I, I mean, I'm the one who you know had him in the baby seat watching masked wrestling when you went out with your wife. You did that one
0: night, and it was fantastic. That was the that was the first time. That I introduced you to uh, Lucha Underground way back in the day. Right. Oh, my goodness. But we're not here uh, to talk about wrestling because God knows no one wants to hear about
1: that. We are not. But uh, tip for everybody, babies like those colorful masks.
0: And they're interesting characters and they're moving around. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) this week we have an interesting lineup on Nerd Cognito. Uh, We did get the board game hotness du jour on the Nerd Cognito table. And that is Sleeping Gods. Uh, I,
1: I Yeah, you told me you guys played that. I was so mad. But with the COVID exposure, I wasn't going to risk bringing that to everybody. So No,
0: and especially since we just had it at our house. It was the first time, thankfully, my COVID exposure sort of fell in between our gaming sessions. Right. To the point where I wouldn't have exposed anybody. But still, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to risk getting friends sick. So, uh, or or vice versa, or you bringing it in to the table, because then I would chastise you and make fun of you to no end. <laughs> of course. But no, we we got Sleeping Gods to the table. I'm going to tell you all about it and and just sort of ping some things off of you and sort of do uh, the one-man Nerd Cognito review this week. And Fair I, enough. I can't think of anything more fitting than aligning our focus back into the tabletop role-playing world and talking about illnesses and diseases in D slash tabletop
1: role-playing games. Oh, that's a that's a great topic. And it's not it's one that's underutilized, I think.
0: I I am the first to admit that I absolutely always used it as a incredibly, incredibly minor element in a game and when i was dying and in master bedroom jail with my covid because you know the boss did not want covid nor did we want the little (laughs) dude to get covid heck no Uh, um it, it it occurred to me that geez you know this is poignant and it has real world ties and it can make those hooks that extend beyond a character into the player and boy, I'm underutilizing it. So I did some reading on uh, just illness and disease uh, sort of across the generations. And uh, pleased to see the level of depth that there is even in 5th edition when it comes to illness and disease. Now, a lot of that's third-party content. But nonetheless, um, it it is something that I think that not enough people, myself included, have leaned heavy into. So we're going to talk about it. Yeah, we'll see if we have any memorable tales from the table to share. And
1: uh, uh, I've got a couple. I, I've been on both sides of that uh, of that adventure, and it's been uh, pretty interesting.
0: Well we'll, well, we'll definitely talk about that on the flip side of the news. And, of course, I've got the news, uh, sort of the best of two weeks worth of news, all sort of stacked up. And best is in air quotes, Bert.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see. We've got some... We had some fun news stories this oh, week. Oh,
0: there's a new tabletop game that I know you're going to be itching to play that I have right at the top of the news. But uh, let's talk about Sleeping Gods. So, okay. tell me what you know about it, and then I'll, uh, I'll I'll dig in. I I like I said we we got it to the table this week, uh, busted it out, and. Oh. I'm going to go on record right now saying that I'm a tough cookie to please. I, I I tend to have opinions and I tend to be very discriminating when it comes to giving just flat out endorsements. And Sleeping Gods is the first hundred plus dollar board game installment that I can think of in recent memory that I have no regrets about purchasing none. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. And, and you know that, that I can usually find something to nitpick and
1: it is pretty darn good. Um, what do you know about it? Just kind of the basics. I know that we couldn't play it on a full game night cause it's for one to four players. Correct. Um, it's uh and
0: i'm even gonna gonna jump in there um i think you could play it with up to six efficiently and without adding any time because um well w- we're gonna talk about the mechanics of the game later but the long and short of it is is there are nine characters in the game and regardless of the player count it's those same nine characters so you could just divvy them up amongst people
1: oh well, that would make sense okay um i know that it has like uh almost like a storybook element like if you were playing um oh what were some of the games that had a storybook element uh we made a lot one, of fun of tales of the arabian nights when we were playing but tales of the arabian nights was one i was thinking of um the one you hate house on haunted hill mm-hmm. you know other than that i don't know a whole lot about it i understand that it's uh uh, like a an exploration and seafaring game, sort of, yeah.
0: Um, let me sort of give you a a brief rundown of okay. Sleeping Gods. Please um, do. Sleeping Gods for the those of you that don't know is a board game that is um, just tearing up the the hotness right now uh, in the board game world, and it is the brainchild of Ryan Lucat. And uh, he did previous games like Above and Below and Near and Far, both of which I was not a great fan of. Um,
1: no, I, I remember we played. We played Above and Below, I believe.
0: Yeah, I, and I, I, I think we've played both. I really, I really do. I, I know we have access to both, um, but those particular entries never did it for me. And there are, you know. Folks that like or even love both of those games, but they always seem to be, I don't know, a bit grindy, and it just wasn't sort of immersive for me. They right. tried, more so with uh, Near and Far, uh, to, to bring story into the game, but it just wasn't there. Anyway, this is this is same developer, uh, Red Raven Games. You are... A member of a steamship in okay. the late 20s, early 30s that gets caught in a storm and gets blown into this fictional world. Uh, it's a big Atlas game, right? And Okay. Um, the best way that I can think of it is it is the love child of... Gloomhaven, and The Seventh Continent, both of which I am very, very fond of. Interesting. Um, Interesting. And what I mean by that is it's exploration and sort of solving mini-quests and puzzles a la Seventh Continent, but with a character development and role-playing end of it from Gloomhaven... With just a dash, and by dash I mean a giant 200-page storybook of setting and stuff that is going on. So it is a full campaign game that
1: Interesting.
0: you are effectively working with your group. It is it is 100% co-op uh, to tell the story, and you're setting forth on your steamship, checking out different locales, finding adventure, uncovering treasure, meeting and interacting with characters, all while you still have a great mix of combat or difficult decisions. So as you try to survive and explore this strange new world um, to find what they call the totems of gods that will give you the power to return home that's the end game goal right um right so
1: you're saying it's an izakai board game
0: uh close close but um it it is very very well put together the rules are streamlined but deep enough that even grizzled old gaming vets like us had enough meat on the bone Um, particularly when it comes to combat. The combat system is very unique and intuitive to, to keep us entertained and busy. And the stories are, while a little pulpy, not over the top, and they provide, again, enough substance that... it scratches sort of that role-playing itch where you really do take on the mantle of the characters that you're responsible for and you're making decisions based on what you think will ultimately help you get home and based on what you believe your characters would do in this world. Um, It's beautiful. The art style is not above and below or near and far-ish. It is, again, sort of a pulpy, but not dark comic art style.
1: Interesting.
0: And um, it's just really well put together. I can't say enough things positive about this game. Uh, We played through, uh, ran incredibly late for where our group usually end. Because, you know, we're old men and we need to get our beauty sleep. (laughs) <laughs> um, and the next day we were so into what happened we were kicking around the idea of just doing a bonus session to continue and that fell apart because I was the old man that was up too late and I just couldn't <laughs> couldn't muster <laughs> muster it up uh, but put it into perspective for you Bert I left the game untouched as we walked away from it on the table so that it's ready to go next time even though there's a save mechanic.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, normally when you leave a board game on the table, it's because either you passed out when we were playing it. Or, <laughs> Which has happened. Or it's something where it has no save mechanic. There's not anything that you can do, sort of, it, as far as that's concerned.
0: Right, right. Um, according to everyone that's played it, it plays best with two players. I don't know. Like I said, I think... Even though it's a 1 to 4, I think you could really divvy it up and and play with uh, as many as you needed to. Now, mechanically, the game does sort of have a stopgap of 4. But since it is full co-op, there's there's nothing to to stop you from having more characters. It's just that if you're playing with more than 4, there's the potential, specifically in combat that there would be players that, that do not have things to do on a given turn. But uh, again, uh, I don't think that that would even take away from the game. So, a really, really interesting mechanic. Uh, or a really, really interesting game all the way around. I gambled on it. I went based on hype and faith from what I was reading about it knowing that I didn't like the designer's previous entries. And boy, am I glad that I went all in and and picked this guy up. It is spectacular. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about the combat, obviously, because you're going to be fighting stuff. Right. Uh, The combat mechanic is really interesting. Each enemy has a combat card that has sort of like a a three-by-three, a tic-tac-toe sort of grid that represents their body right so head arms legs uh, if you're dealing with a traditional human and um, when you inflict damage you are inflicting damage based on adjacency so there may be nine squares but there are only four critical squares for that creature to be alive but even if you have four damage you may not be able to cover all four because you have to move in an adjacent pattern and sort of fill up the boxes. Um, I, I don't often encourage people to, to steer away from the show while we're listening, but if you're interested in the combat, I don't know that I could describe it faithfully in this segment without going into like a full-blown detail. I, I just encourage you to Google any monster card and and you'll see what I mean. Um, There are certain squares that you have to cover, and based on your proficiency in covering that, you'll either uh, defeat the monster or possibly take away some of its abilities. So you have to be very strategic where you may leave that monster alive for an extra turn or two, but you're able to knock out some of the the special powers that the monster has, so to speak, or extra damage that the monster would deal. But, uh, no, it is is it it is really good across the board, and I have uh, nothing but high praise for Sleeping Gods. It is pricey. It's 100 bucks for the base game. Uh, there is an expansion that's out, and there is a story expansion as well that is out. So uh, startup cost for... The enthusiastic gamers probably going to be in the buck fifty range. So it is not a game that for most people is going to be a knee jerk, uh, you know, insta purchase. It is something that you have to consider. Definitely do your homework. But um, a- again, I can think of worse places that I have spent, we'll call it two hundred bucks. And um, far, <laughs> I've spent two hundred bucks in far worse places. I also see this game having incredible legs as far as justifying its price point. I can easily see just the base game alone lasting dozens, plural of play sessions with a consistent group. So you're definitely getting a lot of bang for your buck.
1: Interesting. Uh,
0: disappointed that, that you weren't there, but for good reason. And like I said, we, we, we actually invoked your name, Bert, while we were playing. We said, you know, it's a shame Bert's not here because he would really, really like this game. One of the other guys at the table said, well, you know, that's okay because it's not as though Bert's character is Bert's character. There are these general characters that we're all responsible for. And if Bert comes in, we just, you know, divvy up some characters to him and away we go. So. Um, Sounds
1: good to me. I'd be ready. I'd be willing to jump in. It sounds like kind of an awesome event. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I'm very, very torn because I know that we are at a pivotal place in our role playing campaign. And gosh darn it, there's just not enough time in our short existences for gaming. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really think that uh, short of us having a 100% attendance group, Um, we'll probably play Sleeping Gods next time. Really, really dig it and can't say enough good things about it. So uh, buy it, play it, or avoid it. This is an absolute buy it. It is a steeper investment, but like I said, the return for your dollar, especially when you look at some of the crap that has come out in the board game world lately, um, it is an incredible return on your dollar whether you're a solo gamer or whether you like to spread the good news around with the friends at your table so sleeping gods definitely a three thumbs up for me don't don't ask Bert <laughs>
1: <laughs> three thumbs up okay
0: the, uh, the blood is coursing if, if you know what I mean uh, but you know what'll, what'll, what'll help bring down that swelling
1: the news Oh, the news. Oh, so We're getting the news this
0: week, Ryan. Well, since, again, I don't remember doing the news last week. We did the news. We did. But I don't remember doing the news. I have some some rehash stories that we supposedly talked about previously. and And some new news stories as well.
1: All right, well... We'll start wherever you like. Well, uh,
0: you like tabletop role-playing games. Very much. I like tabletop role-playing games. You like unlimited soup salad and breadsticks. (laughs) Who doesn't? I like unlimited soup salad and breadsticks. Well, apparently there is a role-playing game for us. When you're here, you're family the Olive Garden role-playing game.
1: Are you kidding?
0: Oh, (laughs) I wish I was.
1: (laughs) I mean, is it like an alien invasion at the Olive Garden, or are we talking like, you know, uh, am I a waiter? (laughs) No...
0: I guess it's a hybrid role playing slash live action role playing. So, somewhere in between a tabletop and a LARP. Oh my. Uh, that can only be played at the Olive Garden. And no, I am not kidding. I think that we've officially come full circle with our dearest friends. Um,. I hate to pigeonhole them into this, but who the fuck else is going to play this game? I don't Uh, know.
1: I I don't see us taking the gaming group down to the local Olive Garden for gaming and breadsticks, you know? No, it's designed as a less violent exploration of the human condition. (laughs) Okay, so it sounds like a slice of life role-playing game? That would be kind of odd, I mean, without conflict and without you know difficulty, where does the This is not a
0: role-playing game that just happens to take place at the Olive Garden It is the Olive Garden as a role-playing game 3-12 to players, no GM Instead of playing individual characters, players represent successive generations of an immigrant community Um... How does it play? Well, of course, I did allude to unlimited soup salad and breadsticks because this is the core mechanic of the game. You All right. The players order their unlimited soup salad and breadsticks. Time is measured in soup. Each round of a new soup signifies a new generation where the players take on uh, the embodiment of some sort of immigrant past. Breadsticks represent trouble and the table agrees on some sort of conflict that's nonviolent. And when the breadsticks are finished, uh, the problem has reached its dramatic peak and some sort of drastic action must be taken. And uh, you munch your salad and the eating of the salad uh, re- is representative of making sure that you have your resolution. So uh, I'm not... I I couldn't make this up if I really, really wanted to. You can stave off disaster by slowing down your pace. You can really piss off the Olive Garden who wants to turn your table and be there for seven hours playing this game. When the meal is finished, you order coffee, you get your check and the final round of the game is played over coffee, and the players represent a group of pilgrims who have decided to leave the new community and set off for distant shores yet again. So I can only imagine that the sequel is going to be unlimited chips and salsa at Chili's.
1: I, uh, I not to get, well, I don't think it's political. I think that I have to point it out. Do you think that there's something odd about playing a multi-generational immigrant family game in a major chain restaurant, <laughs> in a corporate chain restaurant.
0: Hey, uh, full disclosure: I do own Darden Restaurants International stock. Um, I don't know. I think that um, I think that this is just a capitalization on the fact that there's a lot of money to be thrown out. It's bizarre, right? And we know that strange. Sure. Cells.
1: Right, I mean, I've played some odd role-playing games, but never at the Olive Garden.
0: I'm, I'm curious to see if eventually it comes out in the wash that Darden maybe did bankroll part of this. <laughs> because, you know, I, I, I can't see it. But asking players to think about immigration and the evolution of society, it's a little deeper than I want to get particularly with my gaming group, and specifically at the... I despise the Olive Garden.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, I I don't mind... I've gone there... I go there once in a while, but it's not one of my favorites. There are a lot better local Italian places to go to. Of course, of
0: course. But you're also not going to be sitting there effectively impeding their ability to do business. No. To... Am I wrong saying that this could be a virtual sig- or virtue signal of a game? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. It just doesn't make any sense. Great Lord Cthulhu, if you're out there and I'm getting through to you in the current manifestation of whatever dream you're happening to, to slumber through right now, please, please, please let these motherfuckers at least tip their waitress. Very, and tip them well. Very well, if you're going to play this game. Hmm. Uh, it's hmm. more. It's a bite that is a little more than I want to uh, to swallow.
1: Agreed. So we started down the rabbit hole, Ryan. Well, What's next?
0: Well, we did. Um, you know that everything that is old is new again. Of course, we've seen of nothing course but retro is and, huge. You know, reimaginings and. Rebirths some great, some terrible. You know, you look at things like Rings of Power, which Amazon sunk a ton of money in, and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to recover. That are not so good. We look at things that you know make me sit, want to drink a beer, and laugh, like the reboot of of My Spirit Animals, Beavis and ButtHead. <laughs> uh, another blast from my, uh, I guess, animated. Joy Past is making a reboot. The what adventures reboot? of Frylock, Meat Wad, and Master Shake.
1: Are Aquatine going Hunger to Force. To
0: continue. You got it, man. Aqua Teen Hunger Force.
1: Uh, is, and Carl?
0: And, and Carl. We cannot forget about Carl. Um, is the final or at least what they're saying is going to be the final adventures of the Aqua Teens, where Frylock Shake and Meatwad, along with their human neighbor neighbor Carl, split up and team back up to fight against Amazon, which is ironically phonetically spelled like an uh, an Amazonian giant tech company. Ah, uh, yeah. The the Aqua Teens are taking on Amazon uh, Teen Forever Plantasm will be released on November 8th in all of your favorite formats. So I don't know, it's stupidity, and I fucking right. love Right? I the mean, Aquateen. the show
1: was the show was dumb and ridiculous, and you know, when I was in my early 20s, I thought it was hilarious. Now, eh, not so much. But hey, you know, a little nostalgia never hurt anybody. No, nope, nope, nope. And uh, following
0: in its footsteps, uh, Venture Brothers and Metalocalypse are also going to be having follow-ups, uh, same animation <laughs> studio. But nothing can peak as much as the Aqua Teens. Uh, so, uh, again, everything that is old is new again, except for the gods. Do you remember about 20 years ago, there was a huge influx of, I guess you would call them simulator games, where it sure. was like Sega Bass Fishing and Sega right, Master right. Hunts and, yes. and and things like that. Um, and flash forward 20 years ago, now we have this um, fishing RPG sort of subgenre that is popping up as independent games or as... Fully functional mini games within AAA titles.
1: Right, right. I mean, Final Fantasy was it fifteen had a whole fishing, secret fishing element.
0: It it did. It did. Uh, You know, they're they're called fish and chills because that's what you do: you fish and you chill. And well, there's a new game coming out in 2023 that has definitely piqued my interest. It's called Dredge, and it is a fish and chill game. Okay. Set in a Lovecraftian universe.
1: (laughs) Oh, Lord. So you're getting deep ones tangled in your nets?
0: Eventually, yes. Uh, You're originally, you know, going out and getting flounder and carp and playing inventory Tetris to keep them, plus all of your fishing gear well-organized. Right. as you fish, there's only one beacon of light from a high, high lighthouse on a rocky cliff. And the darkness doth encompass you. Uh, So using light as a sanity currency, plus the longer that you're out on your expeditions doing your fishing, uh, has deep ties and game-altering effects that are all Lovecraftian-based. So... Oh, wow, okay. To get those bigger fish, you might awaken something that you don't want to um,
1: that actually sounds pretty awesome it's sort of like fishing captain simulator meets you know meets the terror over insmith
0: yeah it, it's super super interesting it's very stylized art um, okay. you know it's very very early but okay. what they have shown is pretty interesting. And uh, you know, my great love of the work of Howard Phillips, the idea of being able to reel in a fifty meter of crafty and monstrosity sounds good all white, all while tackling sanity and panic. There's a panic meter at the top of the screen, which
1: is just this evil red eye. <laughs> It's kind of awesome actually I mean you know let's face it Lovecraft was an ass but the world he created Was genius Well
0: you can't judge a man from a different time Based on the standards of our time
1: today so. No that's true Right I mean I wasn't I wasn't talking about his prejudice I mean people who knew him said that He was you know Oh no he a was dirt.
0: a dick <laughs> Yeah he was a <laughs> total dick well, That's a selling point
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what you like about him
0: <laughs> everybody hates this guy. I like him. Uh yeah. But, uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out on that one. It sounds like it could be a fun little time waster. Um,
1: Oh, you, absolutely. Who knows how deep or it? how
0: long it's going to be. It's, it's definitely independent. And, so uh, Steam release then? No major consoles? I think it's going to be Steam and consoles if, if memory oh, okay. serves me correctly. So speaking of, world ending game Uh, there's a tabletop RPG of the same name that has a lot of interesting ways to wrap up a campaign and Hmm. possibly the most interesting way is through karaoke what? what? Oh yes! Where do you come up with these? I they come to me, my friend. They come to me, my friend. As part of the game, each entry in the book has an illustration and a tone that you apply over the 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 breadth of a campaign. Obviously, these are not traditional or OSR <laughs> <laughs> uh, tabletop role playing games, but uh, specifically, there is a karaoke bar. That's what it's called, Ending, which is uh, effectively every terrible 80s movie ending in the world where the players burst into a karaoke medley to wrap up their camp. What the fuck is wrong with a segment of our hobby?
1: Your campaign ends like the Breakfast Club, you know, with, you know, a a music voiceover.
0: Hey, Bender walking off into the, the haze. Classic. Classic. Very Uh,
1: classic, but not exactly what I'd expect from my tabletop game.
0: No, no. Here's something you would expect from your tabletop game. I'm not even going to give that Sparkle Troll bullshit any more focus. A world that you are very fond of, the Fallout universe. Uh,
1: Okay.
0: uh, Modiphius has announced the release of the official Bethesda licensed Fallout, the tabletop role playing game, running off of their 2D20 system. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. 60-page quest book, pre-generated characters, uh, play everything from a ghoul to a super mutant to a good old human stomping around the wasteland.
1: Uh, All right. What would you be?
0: Oh, oh, goodness. What would I be? (sighs) I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I think if I, I would just be a good old human overseer that has been enlightened that vault tech is not all that I was told it would be and has left his vault to seek out a stake in the post-apocalyptic fallout world.
1: That really seems like an interesting sort of story arc there. You know, the overseer going out into the wasteland, normally you go out into the wasteland cause you can't hack it in a, uh, in, in a vault, not because you used to run one and got disillusioned. Yeah, now like I'm just a disgruntled
0: employee.
1: <laughs> right, I'd like to see where you go with that. That could uh, be a lot of fun.
0: I hey, I'm never in a shortage for for gaming stuff. Speaking of, where do you where do you see yourself if you were if you were a character in the Fallout universe?
1: I kind of would like to be a a ghoul, you know, I survived the the dropping of the bombs, you know, the radiation turned me into, you know, sort of a monster, but I never fell in with that, you know, hoity-toity vault crowd.
0: Oh, no, they wouldn't let you in because you looked like this. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Um, no, definitely worth a pickup, I think. Uh, it's not expensive. You know, Modiphius keeps their stuff generally in line. Uh, the core book oh, can yeah. be had for right around 30 bucks. Um, they, ha- If you're looking for, or excuse me, the starter set can be had for about 30 bucks. The core rule book, just under 50 As of this recording, they are giving away the Quick Start Guide for free. So if you want to take a peek and see if it's worth your hard-earned dollars, uh, definitely go to Modifius' webpage, and uh, you can download the PDF of the Quick Start Guide right now and see if a post-apocalyptic world can come to your table in the near future. Uh, Interesting indeed. I I. I think it it has some legs. I know the fallout fandom is pretty
1: widespread. Oh, sure. All different walks of life. Everybody has a different play style for fallout. So it really, I think the character development in that has to be really good, right? I, you know, because there were so many paths you could follow in the fallout universe. Everybody's going to want to try to recreate their favorite character from the fallout franchise.
0: And to Modiphius's credit, their 2d 20 system, um, the, their their whole model is they get great IPs and put it into a very versatile system um, absolutely so I, I I imagine it's going to be pretty good I uh, full disclosure have looked through the quick start guide uh, might pick up the digital core rules which is just straight up 20 bucks but you know I gotta have the book man
1: oh yeah you're that physical copy guy I gotta have the book
0: But, uh, that my friend is, is our news for the week. So, well, not to bring us down, but we've, uh, all experienced some level of the modern vid plague in the last couple of weeks. Yes,
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) It takes us to our last segment of the day where we talk about, you know, diseases and infection and illness in tabletop role-playing games. Um, we alluded to it at the top of the show that it's
1: sure.
0: it's kind of an untapped resource for a lot of people, and uh, I was the first one to admit, you know, when I had this germ of an idea pop into my head while I had a whole sea of germs swimming through my body, I, uh, I realized that this is an avenue that I... Have maybe only gotten to the corner of the crosswalk and looked down, and just kept going. It, it's something that I overlooked, and to my own fault as a, a, a DM. I of course have had diseases, and you have infections, and everybody, you know, fights the mummy, and someone gets money, mummy rot.
1: Right, or you fight an oitog and get filth fever, or you know everybody's had experiences with diseases in the game as they they almost are like a long standing poison mechanic almost. Right,
0: but I never really explored it to its fullest. the 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 closest thing I can think about, and this was a campaign that you were playing in was I was starting to tiptoe down the route with this in a campaign that we were running about three or four years ago where one or more of the players caught a terminal disease and I was using it as a hook for the party to go out and start to investigate because the big bad or a derivative of the big bad had the cure and was sort of holding the party hostage to do their bidding. Do you remember right.
1: that? I do remember that.
0: I I only remember bits and pieces. I know that it was uh, a, a disease sort of of a homebrew design. And eventually, you know, people were blowing up <laughs> spontaneous combustion. Was that it? <laughs> uh, but um, no, I think that was the deepest that I ever went with a disease in cam- in a campaign. Yeah. Uh, You said you had a couple of stories. Hit me with one.
1: Sure. I've been on both sides of that. So first of all, um, we ran an all evil character campaign when the Book of Vile Darkness came out for third edition or three five. You remember that book? I do.
0: It's my favorite third edition source book ever.
1: Monty Cook, Book of
0: Vile Darkness. Definitely look it up. That was in Monty's heyday when he was on the Wizards team. Uh, orc and pie, my friends, orc and pie. And anyway, but go there ahead. there was a
1: character class in there called Cancer Mage. I do remember the Cancer Mage. I had a tumor familiar. I had control over disease. I was a pox-ridden, pustule-ridden plague-bearer in that campaign. And I had a great time doing it. So your I-
0: entire motivation as a Cancer Mage was to gain power through infecting other things.
1: Right. You wanted to spread your disease. You wanted you wanted to basically create an epidemic. And when you got to higher levels of Cancer Mage, you could control your disease over a number of miles. So you could create swaths of devastation as a Cancer Mage. But then you had to worry about those good characters coming to wipe you out.
0: <laughs> right. Now... It's interesting because it was an evil campaign. And right. um, I know evil campaigns are very passe right now. Um, how could we spin this into the glory and honor campaign?
1: Well, I mean, theoretically, you could have... A so- disgruntled
0: cancer mage? <laughs>
1: Well my first thought my first thought is that you create a cancer mage right, and you infect him with something terrible, and you give him all of the stuff like you know the tumor familiar and things like that. but his main goal is to infect as many people with po- as possible with a minor disease that makes him immune to whatever horror or plague he has. So, so he you're basically is, like the inoculation maid.
0: That's what that's what I'm thinking. So he is the the cure as opposed to the vim and the vile and the yuck.
1: Right, right. I mean, you could make him hated and reviled because he'd still be a poxy, you know, basically a leper. Right. But his whole goal is to make as many people as possible immune to the disease that's killing him.
0: He's a leper with a heart of gold. Sure. <laughs> uh, now...
1: Oh, that sounds great. On the other side, I've been a paladin um, in a plague situation. Like the campaign that we were playing in, they literally threw us into a country that was basically, you know, the spread of the Black Plague across Europe. And one thing that paladins get is the ability to cure disease. Cure
0: disease, right.
1: But... At the level I was at, I could cure disease exactly two times a week. I
0: was going to say twice or th- three times a week if you did a ritual.
1: Right. So how do I choose who to save? Who's worthy of being cured? Uh, and like Sophie's literally, choice. they right, they, they DM threw this group of good characters into this huge moral conundrum because, you know, yes, I could save two people this week. How do I pick which two? you know what what are the criteria that i choose from and if i if i make that choice to save somebody what if i'm wrong like you know so he right. literally and,
0: and as a as you know evil dm ryan here um, how does that impact you as a paladin period if you have to effectively tell a street urchin sorry kid can't help you
1: Right, exactly, and that was what it was, is the, the the DM, like, everybody decided that they wanted to be a good guy, and the DM that we had at the time was like, well, if you want to be a good guy, then you have to be the good guy, and I'm not going to make it easy on you, so here's the world you're in, now be the good guy. Right, I,
0: uh, Paladin is a uh, a tall order to fulfill in that sort of world. Uh, right.
1: Exactly. I, I mean, it, it'd it's, be it's like, a tall
0: order to fulfill for most players in general, because you do have one of the more rigid codes in the right, game.
1: Right. The the only thing that comes close to the like that the morality element that you expect out of a paladin is kind of like the knight's vows from, do you remember the knight class from, what was it, 3-5? Uh,
0: or- see, I, I just went back to second edition because maybe it wasn't called a knight there, but it, it was definitely something where you had, now like, oh, getting old as hell on the memory. But no, I, I get what you're saying, you know, you have a code of honor that you have to uphold.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think it was easier for me to play a paladin in the Ravenloft campaign than it was to play a paladin in this guy's adventure. Oh, absolutely.
0: Because you're dealing with pure evil.
1: Right. I'm I'm in the land of pure evil. I shine like a beacon and every monster in this place wants to kill me. But at least I know my role, you
0: know, whereas if you're a paladin in this plague riddled world, uh, your role is very muddied. Because, again, right. you have to make very difficult
1: moral choices
0: right. while maintaining your code as a paladin. So, you know...
1: And and the DM would really spin it, too. Like, we found out a guy was selling false cures to the plague. So do we expose him and, like, ruin whatever hope the people have that have been buying plague cures from him that aren't working? You know, so... Do we just make him disappear so that he stops cheating people? You murder or, Robos. Or do we do something else? So you know, in that case, you know his prayers weren't working, but they were giving people hope. Right it was in short supply. So you're like, well, this guy's cheating people, but by cheating them, he's making them to believe they're they're not giving up. He's making them believe they're going to live to see tomorrow. So what do you do about that situation? Good guy.
0: Right. Definitely tough choices.
1: You have a favorite
0: disease that's popped up over the years that you enjoy either finding a way to overcome or just see it as an interesting hook for a character, or maybe as a DM one that you just like to, to throw out there. I know I have one.
1: I, uh, I always found, um, believe it or not, and it's cliche, but I always loved mummy rot. The fact that, an an undead creature powered by magic still carries a disease with it was always uh, just kind of, just kind of tickled me a little bit because mummies were you know all magic all the time they you know, basically were held together by magic powered by magic you know and then if you got hit by one you could still wind up catching this terrible disease which just kind of tickled me a little bit
0: right I um <clears throat> I don't know if it's so much a you know progressive disease like you would. Have with mummy rot, but I have in the past uh, inflicted hemophilia on characters, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and of course it's you know magical hemophilia, so they they're they're just losing a hit point per round after suffering any sort of wound, and uh, so
1: basically everything that attacks them has the bleed condition.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's well a gimped version of the bleed condition. Um, Right, right. I I distinctly remember giving it to uh, a a player uh, sort of as a metagame, sort of smack on the wrist. uh, Lots of metagaming going on from his end. And, uh, you know, he completely min-maxed his wizard and uh, his wizard got some some magic hemophilia. And it, it was just my way to sort of counterbalance some of the metagaming that I didn't like that was going on at the table. And with a wink and a nod, we both sort of understood where it was. And he <laughs> overcame that obstacle that I gave him and also pulled back and, and started running more as the character as opposed to the player that will win at D&D. So, right, um,
1: the guy who memorized the rulebook.
0: All in all, you know, it was an interesting in-game solution to a very real problem that was at the table, and um, you know, made him an offer he couldn't refuse. So
1: now, in addition to diseases like mummy rot and filth fever and plagues and things like that, another thing that I don't think I've seen in D and D or in tabletop role playing as a as a hook in a long time are. Um, psychological diseases. Oh, I I still
0: drool for the day when there is a great and I mean great combination of sanity mechanics and health mechanics that that that, that work together and uh it hasn't happened yet. But someday somewhere there will be a system and uh With any luck, I'll have an author credit on it.
1: (laughs) I had, uh, I mean, uh, there were some, there were some great ones back in the older editions. Like, do you remember the howling winds of pandemonium in the planescape? I do. I do cause psychosis.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and I think that when you are dealing with sort of psychological, uh, effects or just, you know, madness, right. Right. Uh, definitely can put a twist on a character both for good and bad so sure. it, it gives the player something else to sink its teeth into uh and, and sort of other characteristics to sort of embrace um right a
1: phobia a mania an obsession and i'm thinking you know, that back can to, make the character like really interesting
0: flaws in third edition right
1: sure absolutely
0: um you know i've i've talked fondly of one of my favorite characters that I got to play when I wasn't playing forever DM. And that was the uh, paranoid Kenku Uh, cleric. You know, he, he lived his paranoia and uh, that paranoia drove a lot of his decisions for good or bad. And he had to live with the consequences again, positive or negative, from living through that condition so um no definitely definitely a, a, a an avenue that that you want to think about sanity there were alternate sanity rules for second edition that i remember distinctly playing with uh way back when but uh really they were all of the sanity rules here here's my big gripe with it they always seem like an afterthought sure. and it's not something that's Baked into the core of the system, and I guess that's that's what's leaving me hungry for more. So,
1: right, and and, and systems that were did have those sanity mechanics baked in were rough systems to use. Right, if you remember the Call original, of Cthulhu,
0: oh. yes,
1: Call of Cthulhu had sanity mechanics baked into the core of it, but that system was just so clunky and weird.
0: Right, and you would think with both of our loves of Lovecraft that we would be all over it, but I could never get down with with COC just because not a great system. Not a great system, so. Well, food for thought. Uh, Definitely put in some sort of illness, be it psychological or physical, into your next campaign, and see where it goes. I think... uh, The doors that it opens, both from a story progression perspective, a character development perspective, and just, you know, hooking your party to go the way you need them to if you're the DM uh, are definitely uh, worth the, the effort to just look and see what's out there. And don't be like me and just peer down the alley. Dive into that darkness and see where it goes. Also, let us know about it. You know, e- email us, nerdcognito at gmail.com. Let us know how you use illnesses, diseases, and madness in your campaigns. Uh, we, we love hearing from you and hearing about the different ways that you implement some of the things that we talk about on the show. Uh, it's, it's always good just to listen to another perspective. And while you're listening, Make sure that you are subscribed at the podcast provider of your choice. You know, you have to be listening to us somewhere. Uh, Make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you do not miss a single episode and so that you can harass us when we get sick like we did last week. And pretty much record garbage
1: (laughs) (laughs) our blooper reel may be coming sometime in the future
0: but no make make sure that you are subscribed at the podcast provider of your choice we certainly appreciate it you can always throw us a five star review that's the correct number of stars or you can throw us the sparkle troll review uh we think that those are funny to read as well uh but either way let us know what you think and uh we certainly love to hear All sorts of feedback, both positive and negative. Well, Bert, that's about it for this week. You know, I still do have that tinge of fatigue. So I think I am going to go snuggle down into the covers and see if I can commune in my insane brain with one of those old gods for a few hours before the next day starts uh
1: (laughs) nothing wrong with that while i'm still feeling good i think i'm gonna make an old-fashioned and sit on the front porch
0: there you go and uh enjoy your drink i'm gonna enjoy a little bit of rest and we enjoyed certainly talking to you my name is ryan david i was joined by bert thank you so much for tuning into nerd cognito we will talk at you next week
1: be safe out there everybody